0: Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the no BS marketing podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests,
1: stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the up. 40% of a creative's time is spent on actually creating. The rest of the time, they're doing project management, communications, Slack, friggin' briefs, you know, interpreting them, going back and forth with the customer. If you're in, if you're in agency land, you're going back and forth with the client, you're sometimes doing pitch work. It's a schedule. excuse my French, but it's just like, what a horrible word. Like this is what you're here to do, but you can't even do it like most of your day.
0: What do brands like Warrior Parker, Dr. Squad? Vinyl Proteins, and Blendjet all have in common. They're all seeing 20x ROI from Retention.com. Visit Retention.com to book a demo today. I'm here with Amrita today. I'm super excited. She actually just came out from talking from for five hours. So I'm her sixth hour of talking today, <laughs> so I'm excited to chat. But I want to get into... How you got into marketing and your story, and then we'll get into the cool topic we have on hand.
1: So, yeah, how I got into marketing, I think like many marketers kind of by chance. I mean, I literally have not met a single amazing marketer that went to like, I don't know, marketing school or anything like that. Like a ton. I've met engineers turned marketers, I've met economists turned marketers, I've met computer scientists, like you name it, like social studies. I, Our director of product marketing was like a teacher and now he's like, you know, leading product marketing in these big orgs. So like, it's like a ton of crazy stories. So I'm not unique in that way, but yeah, no, I went to school for computer science, was a developer and just like fell into marketing. Someone gave me an opportunity. I didn't want to be stuck in front of the computer, so on and so forth. And here I am. And and I think the the thing that keeps a lot of us, and maybe this is different for different people, but for me, it's that, marketing has really become, it's like, one it's like a polymath kind of sport, you know, it's like, you kind of have to be good at a lot of different things. So if you are the type of person that has a ton of different hobbies, lots of different varieties required during your day to keep you stimulated, and you like to flex like all of these different muscles, marketing is great for that, because it's like psychology, data science, emotion, copywriting, design, you name it, right? You got to know your tech stack, your tools. You, you got to be somewhat technical, but not entirely technical to be like a full stack, amazing marketer.
0: The reason I got into marketing is because I get bored really easily. Same. So if I was in finance, I w- it's just the same formulas over and over. I mean, commu- computer science is a little, but there's creativity and computer science are like being code, but there's like strict ways to do certain things. But I also want to ask you before we get into the topic, like, what are some lessons that you've taken from computer science and that have applied to marketing?
1: Uh, I'll be honest, maybe not that much. I'd say like, I think if I had done more classic engineering, it's more applied science. So that would have been a very practical approach to marketing, but computer science is a little bit more theoretical and you're like more thinking like backend and systems. The only thing I can think of is that it does help you, like I'm a big frameworks person, I try to brand everything, even if it's in my head, or I try to call everything a playbook so it becomes repeatable, or I'll make a framework for something so that like it's an easy frame of reference for other people to understand, oh, these are the levers or these are the considerations. And so I put everything into a table or a framework or what have you. And I think that may have come from that education. I don't know. Maybe I was just always like that. I have no idea, but that's the closest correlation I could make one thing
0: that you talk about a lot and you do great is scaling the design process and scaling design through all aspects of marketing what actually is your framework for this like how how if i was a starting off and i i'm running i have a design team and i'm running a lot of creative on ads and i'm running i have social media assets to get out and i have blog assets, web assets, how do I scale my team to be able to put out all this design?
1: At most companies, regardless of whether you have a decentralized or centralized model for your design or creative team, you know, sometimes it sits under marketing. Like at our company, creative sits under marketing. We might service some other parts of the org, but like the bulk of what they do is like to, for for marketing, there's some product design, some whatever else. And then in in more centralized models like Airbnb or whatever, they have like an entire creative team that is like, you know, properly split up. They have an entire design ops team that actually helps figure out and do all the triaging, but figure out the budgets, the resourcing, the tooling, uh, the integrations and all of that stuff. But regardless of the model, I think the one thing that's become clear to me over my career is that no matter how you cut it, no matter how much budget a design team has, how many resources a design team has, they will always be catching up. There is no two ways about it. And it's because they are sometimes a service org. So if marketing is going up this way, it's like, oh, you know, your scope is increased, you're running more campaigns or whatever it is, or hey, maybe all of your um, experiments were successful. And it's like all of that success and growth actually behooves more creative. So creative is almost like always like stuck a little bit behind because they're like that the cues are coming from a different workflow and a different part of the process so there's almost no way for them to catch up there's just absolutely no physical way to catch up there's no such thing
0: i'll simplify the question because i think you said something really interesting is and this is a common problem with a lot of marketers is how would you think about scaling design with a scaling marketing org? Because this is a a common problem that I see a lot is like the marketing org scales, but design stays the same. Like there's no increase of budget in design. There's no increase of resource design, but the marketing output has has scaled. So how would you think about that?
1: Oh my God, first of all, that's a huge mistake. Um, Our CEO always says, you know, you got to prepare for growth. And, you know, it sounds just like one of those like lame, vacuous statements, but what he means, and and I'll relate it to this example or the circumstances that if growth is actually happening and your bets are paying off and your experiments are paying off, that's just going to mean you're going to do more of that. And maybe you'll spread over and do even more experiments and almost nothing in marketing can be powered or you can't break through any kind of ceiling without good creative and so the first thing is like prepare for growth and fund creative the same way you fund any other part of your organization. It's this, they're, they're all the same. They're all connected. That's number one. The second thing I would say and what's worked really well for us, and I, I actually don't know why teams don't do this more often. I, I've never worked at a company where it was so clear as day. And I'm very proud of what we've built. We've got a centralized creative team. But every single person on that creative team is aligned to a marketing function. They may be aligned to more than one, right? So like we might have an animator that's aligned with paid media, which is our biggest budget line item and might be doing stuff for, uh, for social, for like TikTok in particular, but every person on the creative team is in these like pods, these cross-functional sort of pods. We call them pods, sticking with our space theme, but these like pods, and like, you know, you as a, as a creative, you know, hey, my week, 75% of my work, two thirds of my work is going to be for these pods that I'm in. There's going to be some reactive shit that comes down the pike. I'll figure that out. There's room for that. There's room in my week for that. But I'm I'm dedicated essentially to these buckets of work. And it's, it's, there's enough variety that it's not repetitive, but at the same time, you can again, quote unquote, playbook it a little bit. That alignment of people, of creatives and them understanding the data and the, the objectives of these like various different marketing functions has been like huge for us. The ideation is amazing. The speed at which we can move is amazing. The output is like, it's almost like we never send it back. You know, it's like, it's like literally they'll come back with the first iteration and we're like, boom, done, awesome, let's deploy this campaign right now, right? Because it's like, they just get it. They're in all the same meetings. They understand what's going on and they're not like at another room somewhere, virtual room or physical room, um, just being order takers. I think that's the key is like at its core, it's like really turning them from being these like short order cooks to more like creative Michelin star chefs.
0: Yeah, and I think like including them when the creative process starts instead of including it when it the, the creative process is finished and then hey, let's go in the design. But also one thing that you said that I want to get your opinion on is so you have these pods for every single part, like different parts of the business. Is the the talent that you hire for the different pods different? Because like for someone who's like is Someone might be very like social minded when they do creative versus someone is very great at doing presentations or something like that. So when you're hiring for different pods, is it one type of person or you, you're you actually looking at pod specific hires for each thing you do?
1: I think hindsight is twenty twenty, So I'll say that we did do that deliberately in a couple of cases, but certainly not in I'd say overwhelmingly, we did not do that. Part of it's that you want to find the creative that's the best of that thing, you know, obviously for your budget and your location and whatever else. So just using this animator example, again, we want someone who's like a really good animator is not necessarily a brand person. So they're not thinking up of illustrations from scratch. We have an illustrator on the team that, you know, he can work with but they can take that illustration and do magic with it, right? That was the key criteria. And that way they can be really fast. I think that was another thing for us. Now, where we align them, are they on the media team or social team or whatever? It didn't didn't really matter because we didn't feel like the animation quality would be affected by that lens. But there are other cases where that really matters. So for example, a person from our video team is entirely dedicated to YouTube. And there's so much nuance in YouTube, Everything from thumbnails, like how the algorithm thinks about thumbnails, how much testing you have to do on the on the very basic things like thumbnails, you know, how do you do closed captioning? You know, if we know the faces do better. There's there's a whole but there's a whole YouTube science out there, right? And so that video team that's dedicated to the YouTube channel, they gotta know all the ins and outs of that. So that's an example of where that understanding is critical, and you you feel that out in the interview process.
0: One thing also that you would talking about is so if they're in these meetings and all that stuff they're in the creative brainstorming process so they can add their two cents but are they also tied to like the results of how some campaigns are run i mean it's good and bad because one they could celebrate like hey yeah my design crushed it on paid media like i'm doing great but the other part of it is like it didn't crush and then it creates like yeah, cycle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is the eternal debate, right? Like how, how do you OKR or KPI a creative team or a creative person? And how tightly do you tie them to those results? I mean, listen, with these pods that we've made, everyone's got the same goals. That's how we've set it up. And it's like the team the team's success and the team's celebration or the team's, you know, we don't we don't think of it as like classic failure, like you just go back and try again. Obviously, like, we want the hit rate, like I always talk about hit rate, like how many times do you actually hit the ball of the park, we want that hit rate to be high. And that requires, you know, original thinking and certain frameworks. And like, you need to know, you know, what you're trying in a very systematic way. So you need systems for that. But yeah, generally, I would say, what I've done, at least is, and maybe this is a mistake, and I'd I'd love to hear, but I've done this thing where I say, The whole team should care about MRR, which is like revenue for us, essentially. But revenue is such a nebulous thing. And there's such a long road to earn that dollar that we need like certain leading indicators to that revenue. And whatever that pod's leading indicators are, which we call KRs, the creative team shares. So if you're in the TikTok pod or the YouTube pod, we really, really care about one leading indicator, which is views and engagement. And we want everyone to care about that, including the creative. And that's usually empowering because everyone knows what we're gunning for, and everyone knows that there's a chance that we won't get that. But we've got a good baseline, we've got some good hypotheses, and here's our best shot.
0: Yeah. Also, what I like about that is if the leading metric for the leading metric for TikTok isn't revenue, that's what I like too. Because at least if, if it is views and engagement, that creative person has the incentive to do something that gets the most views and engagement, not to sell the the end product. Yeah. One thing that you're also really passionate about is this concept of design ops. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: how do you think about design ops? Because I think even me as a creative, I've been in marketing, I was in marketing ops, but then now I'm like more media and creative. And I realize like how much even like in media, like how much I need someone to, make sure my assets are going in time and make sure that things are in the correct place and make sure they're in like a nice project managed board. So how do you think about design ops and what is their role in this like whole design process?
1: Yeah, no, I love that role so much. I mean, all of these different teams have these ops counterparts, right? Like DevOps, marketing ops, and like for some reason, creative doesn't seem to have that in the defined way, uh, but that's, that's changing now. There's actually a very famous statistic which says, 40% of a creative's time is spent on actually creating. Think about that, okay? Like, you're, let's say you're a graphic designer, you're spending only 40% of your time actually designing. The rest of the time, they're doing project management, communication, Slack. Friggin' briefs, you know, interpreting them, going back and forth with the customer. If you're in, if you're in agency land, you're going back and forth with the client, you're sometimes doing pitch work. It's a shed show, excuse my French, but it's just like, what a horrible word. Like this is what you're here to do, but you can't even do it like most of your day. So this idea of design ops is simply that there's a person or a team, depending on the size of the operation that takes care of tooling, management of all incoming Projects, initiatives, requests, what have you, uh, figures out how to triage it, who's going to do what, which team is going to work on what. By the way, what's priority? What's not priority? How is it going to be actually project managed? Is this going to go into whatever asana or whatever system you have? Uh, By the way, where the hell are the files located? And what is the underlying architecture for something that, frankly, has already been created before? And now we just need to repurpose it, right? All of that thinking. And all of that planning does not need to be done by the designer, the videographer, the editor. That is a waste of their time. So there's this other person or team that's designed to do that. And that's what design ops is. I was actually chatting with a really great customer of ours, Intercom, um, last year. And I was shocked because I was interviewing her, this design ops person for something. And she ended up saying, I, I said to her, hey, what's the size of your team? And Intercom, I don't know if those who are listening would know this company, but they've been around for a while. They're a tech darling. They're very well known for their experience and, and their and their design and the consistency in that. So lots of people looked at them. Anyway, she said, oh yeah, our design team is 48 people. I was like, whoa, that's it? Like you guys are killing it. And she was like, yeah. So I was like, give me the breakdown. She says, we have one head of design, right? Obviously. And she was like, we have nine designers or she, did she say eight? Something like eight or nine designers and the rest are design ops people. So for a small team of 14, four of them were actually design ops people. And I was, I, my mind was blown because I was like, I've never seen that ratio of design ops to designer before. Kind of like, you know, like even on a team of marketing, usually you have one or two marketing ops people if you have a team of like 20, 30 marketers. So this ratio was a bit unusual. And she was like, this is how we get stuff done so fast, so quickly. And we scale it. It's because there's like this dedicated team that's always thinking about that. They're figuring out, is this internal? Is this super side? Is this some other, you know, sporadic freelancer that they might use for some something very, very specific, which was, which was really great to hear. It's like a testament to that role doing its job. It's like the
0: classic marketing problem. It's like a lot of people don't need more resources. They just need more prioritization. And if you just have like one design ops or two design ops, like you're saving 60% of your design resources. So now you're scaling your designer. So that's like exactly. a lot. And that is like, you could say like the hack to scale design is like, hey, it's not, let's go hire three more designers. Like let's first hire someone who can operationalize this for your designers and then say like, does that designer now not have the bandwidth to do it? Let's go hire another designer to do it this is the classic problem with marketing ops too, is like when the team gets big, like are you adding resources? Because when I was at marketing ops, my problem was like, you're adding resources to marketing, but you're not giving me resources as a marketing ops person to help the marketing team. So now I'm strapped for like helping the paid team, the the design team, the the content team, the the web team. Like I have to get this whole team under my branch but if you give me one more person i can now i take some of my research and split it between like process and insights or and start thinking of it differently so i think scaling design off with designers is important as well basically if you become like a company like intercom
1: yeah exactly and of course like you know supersite fits into this overall picture too right like one of the things like i was saying earlier is like Design and creative is always going to be in catch-up mode. There's just no way around it, and I think the f- the sooner they acknowledge it, like there's, I think people have this like utopia in their mind, like one day I'll have enough resources or one day I'll have enough headcount that we'll we'll be able to do everything. And it's just like just resign yourself to the fact that there's not going to be any such day ever, right? So acknowledgement is step one. Step two is just plan for it, and you know you can you can hire design ops people. You can have all the right systems and toolings in place. But in the event that you need, like one thing in particular that we hear from our customers is I have like a bunch of specialized skill sets that we need on the team uh, for very specific projects, but they're not full-time roles. What do I do in that situation? And the answer is clear. Obviously, don't hire those people. That's going to be a waste of your money. Find reliable freelancers if there's such a thing to do that or you, you hire essentially Superside to do that job, right? So you get everything under the sun, all sorts of design and creative skill sets under the sun to use to your advantage for your campaigns, for your programs, when you need it on in an on-demand way. And that's an example of how you would scale it. You know, don't struggle with, like if you want to do like an experiment where suddenly you need, you want to do something, you want to you make something that's like in the AR, VR space, you're struggling with that, how are you going to actually you know, bring that off the ground? you know, you have an alternative solution for that. You don't, your team, internal team doesn't need to do all of the tactical execution around that.
0: The first place a lot of people go to is like, we need to hire someone instead of like, hey, there are other resources out there for this one-off project or this project that we can use and not bother the existing design team to do it.
1: Exactly. Preserve your existing design teams capacity, mental bandwidth, et cetera, for things that you consider core, things that you consider extremely strategic. And like focus is key, right? Across any, regardless of what role it is in the company, focus is very important. So you don't want to break that focus over and over. The context switching alone has like a huge impact on quality. So keeping um, that top of mind.
0: What is a marketing hill you would die on?
1: You know, there's this like famous meme that's been going around or has been going around for 10 years, which is like, what is the first marketing? You're a new VP of marketing or CMO or whatever. What is the first marketing role you would hire? And everybody, it's so weird. Everybody answers it differently. And I would say after my experience at Superside, my answer would actually be a relatively full stack designer that would be my first hire. I think in past it would be someone who's like, you know, growth marketer or demand gen, like someone like Scrappy or whatever. But I'd never come across someone who can actually do even like an iota of good design. And so my first hire would actually be that. And I know there's so many naysayers around that, but that that's what I, that's what I believe now.
0: I think people underrate design so much. And that's why there's a lot of bad B2B marketing out there because they don't invest in design and they don't invest in like creative people. So it becomes, let's invest in growth marketing and then the ads they put out are just- Yeah,
1: are just, look yeah,
0: at well, it. totally.
1: Well, it's and it's so funny. The irony of all of this is that the only way to win on Facebook these days, for example, Facebook has a platform which owns, you know, obviously Instagram, WhatsApp, everything these days. The only way to actually win on these platforms is creative testing. There's no other hack. There's no known. There's nothing. It's creative testing. And like, where are you going to get Hive? Like, what? how are you going to get 57 versions of a Facebook ad to test our, you know, like I think about customers like Shopify of ours, you know, they spend a million dollars like something like a day on paid media, you know? And it's like, they're not gonna leave it up to some random guy making some random decisions. Like creative testing is where it's at to eke out the performance that you need from those ads. And yeah, you you need a lot of, you know, manpower, AI power, whatever you want to call it, but to, to really test that out.
0: Especially in the beginning, I think hiring a growth marketer is needed, but I don't think it's the first role because i heard someone talk about this on a podcast and he was i think he ran growth marketing for uber and he was saying that like you have to get to product market fit before you like start hiring growth because that's where growth comes in and accelerates it if you don't have product market fit and then you have growth they're just growing something that doesn't you, you, yeah you're spending money
1: yeah that's exactly what we did. We we found product market fit. We launched in September 2019, and then we hired our first growth marketer, who's our director of growth now in August of 2020. So yeah, that was exactly a year in. And we were sure that, okay, we knew something was working. We knew some of the positioning had been you know refined. We knew who our customer was. We knew which segments to go after, et cetera. That makes total sense.
0: One last question for you is, if someone came to you today and they were starting... Marketing, what's a piece of advice you would give them that they would come back a few years later and thank you for?
1: I think the first thing is that all the fields in marketing are kind of like related. To make revenue happen, to make growth happen, like a lot of things have to go right and a lot of things have to work. And so don't pigeonhole yourself in like one area and try to explore as much surface area as you can. That doesn't mean like you change roles like a crazy person, but try to get exposure as much as possible until you figure out, you know, the high impact areas that you particularly are good at and passionate about. So that early exploration in your career is important. I feel like I've done every job imaginable at marketing. I've literally had, I think with the exception of SEO, I've literally done every job. So that's first. And I'd say like the second thing is this idea around marketing can get like very tactical very quickly. Um, a lot of founders could push you in this direction, right? Like kind of like, hey, like what is this? Let's do this one thing and let's pull this email list and email everybody. Like, you know, it can get very, very tactical and sometimes you can be pushed in that direction. And I think you just have to keep your head above water and keep like pulling yourself back to have that 30,000 foot view to see like what is actually happening and not, not be so... Immersed in the minutiae every single day. That'll that that'll be helpful not only career-wise, but actually help you pinpoint what your next bet should be and you know what is actually working in marketing.
0: I love your advice because I was talking to Rory Sutherland on a po- podcast before, and he said, The problem with marketing today is that marketing is a Sudoku puzzle, but a lot of people are given one line of the sudoku puzzle so for example paid marketing only thinks about paid marketing and then if they don't have the insight of like what design does what seo does what content does what everybody does and what other people in the business then they only having they only could fill out one line they're not seeing like finishing the sudoku puzzle so if you are a marketer starting it's good to learn at least high level of what everybody does and how it interacts and how it interacts with the business as a whole. I think that's what changed my perspective marketing is like, I came from a very direct response CMO, and that was a great experience at first. But then I realized how much brand affected that direct response marketing, because I started seeing the whole picture of marketing. But if I was just in direct response, I would just say, let's run direct response ads. Let's- just only sell, sell, sell through my advertising and not think about how it affects brand long-term, how it affects everything. Long-term. So it's good to have a, a 30,000 foot view of what marketing is.
1: Yeah. And like, it, it's, it's not gonna happen overnight, but you know, you just make that a practice and you make that a habit and you try to like understand, you know, if you have the opportunity to sit with your, you know, whoever supports that team, you know, your VP marketing or whatever, if you have the opportunity to sit with them and, and like, think through how they think about stuff, that that could be huge for you and help you with what's doing your job even better and adding value.
0: Where could people find you, what you're doing, or anything else you want to talk about right
1: now? Well, for hot takes, you can definitely find me on LinkedIn at Amrita Mather and same handle on Twitter and Instagram as well. Although I've just made my Instagram private because I've been fo- posting photos of my daughter and I don't want any creeps seeing that. But uh, yeah, like I get a lot of linkedin dms but yeah if you have a question or a thought or a comment yeah just definitely hit me up and yeah there's some there's some spicy stuff that i post from time to time
0: awesome yeah go go follow her also your podcast with dg was really great so go listen thank you too um it's a different podcast dg comes from more of the the cmo lens which is this is more coming from everyday marketer lens. so i'm excited for people to hear this episode. And thank you so much for joining.
1: Thank you, Daniel.
0: Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the marketing millennials podcast and giving it a five star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.